Hey guys, it's Heaven from Just the Girl and True Crime. And I'm going to tell you guys about my sponsor, Anchor. Now you're probably thinking, what is Anchor? Well, I'm about to tell you. It's everything you need and the easiest way to start your own podcast all in one place. Anchor allows you to have all of these tools right at your hand from your phone or even for your computer. I know I use my phone and my computer phone if I want to upload something. You know, a little fresh when I'm on the go or at home on my computer when I'm sitting there Friday night doing nothing. When you're hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast just in one place. What are you guys waiting for? And I know you're probably thinking, how much did this cost you? Well, it's free. Totally free. If you want to get started, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You won't regret it. I didn't. Hey guys, welcome back to Just a Grown True Crime. I'm your host, Heaven, and it's Tuesday, and um, I actually took off work because my husband is now sick, and he got what our kids got. He had to get a COVID test, and we're still waiting on results, so he asked me if I wanted to stay home so I could help take care of our youngest because he he can't talk. Um, He has, I'm sorry, he just told me he can talk, but he has to talk like this. I can't talk. See, you, it doesn't even, how low I talk, it didn't even pick it up on the podcast. So, um... He's sick, and we're just hoping he doesn't have COVID, Um, but I guess I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. A couple things, like I did say, um, when we uploaded Robert Hansen's video, we were going to be doing the story of the Cleveland abduction, and this is either going to be in two parts or three. I'm not sure. I'm trying to get it done in two parts because I've spent days writing this, and my part one... Um, is already like at least 10 pages long. So hopefully it's in two, but if it's in three, it's in three because I want to get as much detail as I can for you because I wrote everything down instead of just looking it up on my computer and I flipped through a lot of different pages. Um, Real quick, give me one second. Okay, so I was looking for something. Real quick, I wanted to wanted to shout a couple people out and then we'll hop right to it. So, you guys know I love getting reviews that are awesome and the past two days I've gotten two I've gotten two reviews. And the first one, they gave me a four-star rating, which I appreciate. It's great. Um, so I'm going to read that to you because you guys know I like to share. My success is your success. And they rated it as a four-star, and they said potential. 
and they said, what a dear you are and brave too. And I sense young and experienced, um, short symphonists, I think I pronounced that right, of complex cases. Girl, you just need to learn more about polishing your presentation and learning, and not learning, I'm sorry, listening to other crime pods and also listen side by side to yours. Be as objective as able. Giving up is too easy. You have insightful ideas and understanding. Everyone starts out a little crappy and, and little by little open to improvements and learns to edit what may not work. Or And they said they would love to watch me grow, you know, and find my comfort level. Um, they said to focus on content and present, presentation. And it's always worthwhile to seek help. Use fair criticism and stay true. Do less shows and you know and know your material inside and out and practice, you know, recording and listen and listen and seek feedback. They said basically, you know, it's no easy task. They're rooting they're rooting for me. Balance all aspects. And they said when I did the Diane's down case, they lived in the town, they thought I put everything all the info and stuff together well and it does need you know a critical eye to impart what you intend but remember that someday um that I'm sorry not someday that some may not be at all familiar one day you will not be just a girl but a girl or woman in a podcast keep on and then they said NPS my punctuation and layout was removed maybe too long I don't know who this person is, but thank you for that awesome eye tape. I love this. I like getting um, constructive criticism of how I can better the podcast. Um, so we're we're gonna we're gonna take all that to heart. My next one I just got um two days ago, and this person I talked about before, but I did not mention their name. But you know what? I'm gonna mention your name because you wrote such an amazing podcast review. They gave me five stars, said great show, and they said, hey, you know, keep up the great work. My show is great. Um, they said, don't worry about the bad reviews, like they said before. And they said, P.S., I just wanted to say you have inspired me to get a microphone and get a show together myself. Ready, 320th. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. I'm so glad I could inspire somebody. It's why I do it. Um, and you know what, Freddie, when you, um, when you get a podcast set up and stuff, let me know so I can come over and listen to it. That's awesome. So, um, with that being said, I am, instead of doing two shows, uh, one being every Wednesday and Friday, I'm just going to do a Friday or Saturday show, um, so I can just go deep into the cases and it will probably be easier with me with a full-time job. So without rant being over, let's get started into um, the podcast. So in this one, we're going to talk about Michelle Knight, and we're going to talk about Ariel Castro. We're going to talk about the other victims. In the second one, I wanted to get as much information of what she went through her home life and kind of built up to how Ariel was. All right, so with that, Michelle was born in April 1981. She grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, 
as a girl, she wanted to pursue a career as a firefighter, but she later aspired to become a vet or a veterinarian. Unfortunately, Michelle, who was only the height of four feet, seven inches, I mean, she earned her nickname Shorty, which I had that nickname in school because I'm only four feet, 11 inches. Although she loved living in Ohio, she actually did hate her home life. They didn't have a couch to sit on. There was no stove. Um, Just to eat a hot meal, they had to cook on a space heater. And it took four hours for a hot dog to cook. And man, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine that. Michelle was almost like a mother figure to her siblings. You know, they didn't. They didn't bathe regular on a regular basis, didn't brush their teeth. So her family was in this type. From what I've gathered, they were pretty poor. They didn't have a lot of money. Her brother Edward told ABC News that she had always been there to help us. Michelle described her life as traumatic saying she suffered sexual and physical abuse. You name it, I went through it, she said. She ended up, you know, saying she got to a point in her life where she felt she was more safer on the streets than she was living at her own home. And I got this from another podcast that I listened because I listen to podcasts. Um, I listen to Morbid Faithfully. Um, and they covered this case. And... A, it was either a relative or like um a family friend, I believe, that was, you know, molesting her, and it was just a lot. So, I get it. So she basically ran away when she felt that she was safer out on the streets, and she was only fourteen years old at this time. She never knew where her next meal was going to come from. She lived in garbage cans. She stole a blanket off of somebody's porch just so she could stay warm. And she also slept under a like bridge or like a bypass. And she said when she heard the cars, it helped like pass over. It helped her like calm down. Like it was like a safe haven, I guess, like to calm her nerves. She did end up. Um, finding refuge in a local Baptist church where she was given food, clothes, and a place to bathe. She ended up going there just because of the music. And she said at first, like, when she walked in, she was a little embarrassed because, you know, she didn't smell good. She walked in and she was this like this dirty kid so I mean yeah you're gonna feel embarrassed because of how your appearance is but she always stood in the back and she sang along with every I am I believe that's how you pronounce I don't know um that they were singing now I've heard I've heard two different things on this one part I'm about to tell you I heard that a neighbor saw her like where she was like living at and he brought her back to the family And, um, oh, and then the ABC News article I got said a 
congregant saw her at a church and reported it back to her father. And they ended up getting her. So, um, I'm not sure which one is, but I wanted to put both of them in there. So, when she went back to her families, they, you know, ended up sending her back to school. But she did tell her mother before, you know, she was bullied there. Obviously, probably because of her appearance. While in school, though, she did end up seeing a boy. And Michelle ended up getting pregnant by him. And when she went back, this family member or relative was still, you know, molesting or touching her. But when she got pregnant, she started to fight him off and was like, no, no more. Um, She gave birth um, to a baby boy named Joey at just 18 years old. And Michelle wanted to be the best mom for Joey. She wanted to be better than her mother. And I can relate to that so much because my mom is a POS. So is my father. And I... I choose to be better than them. That's my that's my goal in life. But for her, it was difficult because she didn't have much money. Her mother, at some point, they she ended up divorcing her father. Like she left, and then she started to date this man, and he he was no better. He was a pos from the jump. He was an alcoholic, and. One time, Michelle had to go, like, run an errand or some, do something, and she asked her mom, hey, can you watch Joey for me and till I get back, basically? And her mom was like, okay. Well, her mom didn't watch Joey. Her mom ended up leaving Joey with the alcoholic boyfriend. Well, he ended up drinking, and he ended up fracturing Joey's um, knee. It was either knee or leg. I saw both. And, you know, when Michelle came home, she saw this. She decided to take him to the hospital like any other caring mother would. When they got to the hospital, you know, the hospital were like, well, how did this happen? And her being very afraid, she ended up lying to the hospital and saying like, oh, he, I believe he said, she said, oh, he fell while he was at the park. But moments later, the mom's drunk boyfriend called and said, you know, I was drinking and I was the one who was responsible for Joey's injuries. But still, social social services got involved and they ended up eventually placing Joey in a foster care. And Michelle was very determined to get her son back. She left her mom. She moved in with a cousin. She got a job. She was doing all of these things she needed to do in order to get her son back. On August 23rd, 2002, her and her cousin were walking around trying. um, They were walking around over like half the day. And they were trying to find the place where she needed to go for the case management meeting. So she had to go to some courthouse and Michelle didn't have a car at the time. So she had to walk everywhere. And this is when cell phones weren't like huge, not like they are now where you can just like where I can pull up Google and, you know, find directions to walk. That wasn't a thing. 
And they were doing all of this, like I said, to get her son back because they were going to start the paperwork so he could have her. So she could have him. I'm sorry, not the other way around. Let me. Um, they actually did, though, offer her a ride. And she did say no because a family member said that they would take her. But they bailed out on her last minute. So that's why she was trying to walk to find the courthouse. When she basically called them like, hey. I don't have a ride. They were like, oh, well, you know, that sucks. We offered you a ride. And, you know, Michelle's like, I had a ride. I did, but they bailed out on me last minute. And they were like, you know what? You have to figure it out. We, we really don't know what to tell you. She eventually told her cousin, you know, hey, just head back home. I'm just going to stop at this family dollar and I'm going to ask for directions, see if they know where it is, if I'm close. And see how long it might take me. So the cousin goes back home. And she goes into this family dollar. When she asks the clerk. Oh. And, you know the clerk's like I don't know. Not, I'm not 100% sure. All of a sudden this man chimes in. And he. Offered to help Michelle. And, you know, she recognized this man. She was like, oh, you're the father of one of my friends. And he's like, yeah, that's me. And, you know, she was like, okay, cool. He said, let me finish up here real quick. I can give you a ride to the courthouse. It's five minutes away. I'll take you. And she's like, wow, that, that's so nice of you. Thank you so much. And everything like that. So she's like, yep. Michelle's like, cool, I'm going to make it. This is going to happen. I'm going to get Joey back. Everything's going to be fine. The man she trusted was Ariel Castro. But instead of going straight to the courthouse, Ariel told her he had to run home quickly because he told her um, he like kind of like tricked her. Um, Ariel tricked her, like, with puppies and everything, and Michelle's like, oh my gosh, my son Joey loves puppies, and his puppy just died, and everything. He's like, well, cool, you can come look at these puppies, and you can give one, you can take one to give to your son Joey, and she was like, awesome. And, you know, so they went to his house. Ariel thought, okay, you know, this is how I can do, this is how I can get her. I can use this puppy story, and that's what he went with. He told her, you know, come into the house. I'll let you pick the puppy for your son. So, you know, she agreed, but when they got there, she actually noticed the dog was outside. I'm assuming it was the mother. And she asked Ariel, she's like, you know, why, why is she outside? And he, and not with the pups. And he said, oh, well, she just had she just had used the bathroom. So I tied her up and just let her go to the bathroom real quick. And Michelle's like, OK, that, yep, makes sense. So when Michelle went into the house. He said, oh, all the puppies are in this room, like right over here. So she walked up the stairs. And everything. 
And as soon as Michelle walked into the store, she didn't see him. And he's like, oh, you know, they're right under there. And so she went in and all of a sudden the door was slammed shut. And she was left in this room with him in it. He put his hand over her mouth, said, don't scream. You know, I'll kill you. Uh, Michelle had spent a decade as a prisoner in Ariel Castro's home. But, or House of Horrors, however you want to describe it, they call it the House of Horrors. But she wasn't the only one who was there. There were two other girls who I said we will talk about in part two. While she was there, they endured torture, rape, starvation and beatings while she was trapped inside this room um, known as like the pink room that's where he proceeded to tie her up like a fish and put her on a wall in an interview on the Dr. Phil show Michelle described how Ariel used an orange extension cord to tie up her neck, hands and feet before she was hung up. Michelle also said that he shoved a dirty sock in her mouth to keep her screams muffled, which, ew, disgusting. Ariel also raped her multiple times a day and put on loud music, I believe it was salsa music, to further basically mute her cries. It was difficult, she said. I had to go blank. Anytime he was doing anything to me, I had to put myself in a different place, Michelle said. Even though Michelle begged Ariel, you know, to let her go multiple times, begging him, saying, I need to get my son. This can't happen. Ariel did what any person would do. He, she had a picture of her son. He took the picture from her and ripped it up in front of her. saying, you will never see him again. Michelle said those words hurt so bad. The knife felt like it was going deeper and deeper into her chest. There was no knife, I don't think, but I think that's just like a metaphor. Michelle also had spent a couple weeks in a dark basement with her being chained up and so like chained the whole way, like chains all around your body. And she had a motorcycle on her head motorcycle helmet on her head she said it was hard to breathe because the chains were so tight and with the helmet it only made things worse ariel eventually did you know um left her down there she only the only connection she had to the world was an old radio and a tv um and she said he would leave her down there for weeks and everything like and the only time he would get her was when he wanted to rape her, and then she was right back down in that basement, which that's that's terrifying by itself. Um, one point she told him, like, she tried to talk to him because she said that, you know, after, like, he would, like, do these terrible acts, he would, like, break down and cry and say, I don't know why I'm like this, and she was just like, it's okay. You know, you could just let me go. You don't have to do this. 
She probably said somewhere along the lines, I'm not going to tell anybody. We could just forget all this happened. But then all of a sudden he'd flip a switch. And he would beat her and then, you know, tie her up. Well, she eventually told Ariel that, you know, you never did get me that puppy. So when he finally let her come up from the basement into that pink room, um, he made her take her clothes off and he said, you know, you're staying naked. You don't need to wear clothes. There's no, basically no point because he intended to keep her there forever. Um, well, one day he walked in and he got her a puppy and she loved that dog. I don't know. I don't know the name of the puppy. I wish I did, but I think it's in her book, but I believe her dog was a little pit bull. And, you know, she spent a lot of time with this dog. She said she talked to this dog. Um, and they grew a close bond. And anytime he would, Ariel would do something to her, he would always chain the dog up and it would be outside. Well, obviously, since Michelle and the dog were close, it was like a protection thing. And one night he came in drunk and he tried to rape her, but he forgot to tie up the dog. So what the dog did was he tried to protect Michelle. and. The dog ended up biting Ariel, and he snapped. Trigger warning, if you don't want to hear this, he ended up snapping the dog's neck right in front of her and leaving the dog there. She said she cried because that was something she loved. That was the only thing, you know, other from her son, but her son wasn't there. That dog was there, and it was like a loving thing. She had something there that was with her. And the dog was just trying to protect her. Michelle, um, you know, also said that Ariel kept her in filthy conditions. Like I said, being naked and she was freezing. One time she tried to escape using a needle to pick a lock on the chains that were bound um, around her. And she said she made it to the window before Ariel returned and punished her. Michelle was also pregnant by Ariel at least five times, and Ariel had caused Michelle to miscarry every single time. And because he would hit her so hard, she's actually not able to have any more children. And he would hit what he did to cause the miscarriages. He would use dumbbells. He would punch her in the stomach slam her against walls and he even starved Michelle and I believe one time he pushed her down the stairs. Michelle's grandmother also spoke out saying Michelle needed um reconstruction surgery due to all of the beatings she endured and Michelle also believed that Ariel hated her the most out of all of the girls that were there because she said he could not break her. There was nothing he could do. She wouldn't break. She, you know, was the one who stood up to him and everything like that. So, I mean, good on her, right? Now, 
So that's a little bit of what Michelle went through, and we are going to still talk about her in part two. Um, that is a little overview of what she went through a little bit there. And now you guys all know, every time I do a victim, we always, or not a victim, I mean, we go through the victims too, but we go through, like, the monster, right? We see what their past life was like. We see what they grew up and everything like that. Just to see if we can get an understanding. I mean, we'll never have an understanding. But we get an insight of their childhood, right? And that's what we're going to do. We're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about this POS Ariel Castro. I don't want to, but, you know, we just we just do it, guys. So let's let's go. So let's get this get this scumbag going so ariel was born in puerto rico on july 10th in 1960 his father's name was pedro castro but in another article i seen another name but i'm not 100 percent sure and i don't remember what it was because i didn't write it down and he was born in 1938 and he died in 2004 and i believe i read somewhere that he owned like a like um I don't, I don't want to say car lot. I want to say like a car lot, but I think it said like car firm, something like that. Something to deal with cars. His mother's name was Lillian Rodriguez. I love the name Lillian. And she was born in 1942. His parents eventually split when he was just a child. And his mother actually had moved him and his three other siblings to the United States. And they lived with their maternal grandma. Ariel allegedly claimed that he was abused as a child and he was raped by an uncle. He also said his mom beat him with, like, belts. I think there was, like, switches and stuff as well. Like, and I get... I get... Not... I'm sorry. Let me pull that up. I understand... I don't, mm. all right, let me try this again. I don't understand how people can blame, blame their abuse, their, damn it. I don't understand how people can blame their actions on what they went through as a child and somehow justify it as okay when you're an adult. I, that makes no sense to me basically saying you know oh i had a bad childhood and that's the way i am and that's the way i am because i had a bad childhood i'm sorry but it's just a poor excuse to me it's a cop out it's a way out in my opinion you know many people go through abusive childhoods myself included um bad childhood i do have a episode recorded about my survivor story that i don't know if i'm gonna um upload it's it's hard to talk about but we'll see um you know and you don't see me out there kidnapping women raping people beating kids murder murdering doing anything like that so i feel like it's just an excuse and it's not a good excuse because 
you can ha you have that opportunity once you get out you can turn that around if you choose to if you choose to be a scumbag piece of crap for the rest of your life that's on you that's nobody else you had a way out when you left you could do better you can break the cycle now also note that ariel did call himself a sexual predator and he blamed the women he kidnapped basically saying that it was their fault how okay in 1992 we're going to talk about him and his wife ariel ended up buying a house on 2207 Sycamore Avenue, where all these terrible things went down. He initially lived there with his wife and their four children. But according to his wife, Ariel was violent and she did end up leaving him in 1996, the year I was born. And she took custody of the children as well. Believe it or not, when people heard, you know, everything that happened when everything came out with the girls and everything, switching, switching gears real quick, stay with me, they were actually shocked. They could not believe this neighbor did anything like that. There's no way he's such a good neighbor. What? No. One neighbor said that he spent time with Ariel socially. Hell, he even worked for a school bus driver. He worked as a school bus driver for 22 years. Now, we're going to come back to that later because I wanted to make it known. But that's the thing with Ariel Castro. He fooled everyone and looked like a normal guy from the outside. Which, like I always tell people, people that are monsters have two identities. They have who everybody wants to, who they want everyone to see him as this good guy on the outside. But behind closed doors, he's actually this monster who does all this crazy shit, right? He waved to neighbors. He talked to them about his Harley motorcycle. And sometimes he was with this little girl. Um, but don't worry, we're really gonna, we're gonna focus on a little girl, mainly in the second part. Um, he would have cookouts, he'd eat, or barbecues, he would eat ribs with neighbors. On his porch in his two-story home where all of this crap happened, while listening to salsa music. He was an upbeat man who loved music. He was in a band as well, and he loved impressing his bandmates with his talents and his smiles. His neighbors are actually still trying to come with grips with how his two personas, the first one being Ariel Castro, that they thought they knew, and the second one is how authorities described him later after all of these events came out. Neighbors, you know, find themselves, find themselves asking why um why not only who this man was but also whether they could you know if there was any way they could have prevented it or stopped it of you know of all the terrible things he did one of them being a neighbor named daniel martin 
He had known Ariel since junior high, and he lived near him for 22 years. He thought Ariel was the outgoing person and a very nice guy. But when Daniel looked back at some of the things, he did realize like some of the things weren't adding up. Um, Like when they would talk, Ariel would always lead Daniel away from the house because he had the girls in the house. He would always lead them away. Or how Ariel would go to McDonald's every day because he, this dude loved McDonald's. Well, Ariel, I just want to put this out there. There's probably no McDonald's in hell. Okay. Um, and they thought it was weird because when he went there, he would always bring bags of food back and they thought he lived alone. They were thinking, you know, especially Daniel, all for a bachelor who they thought he was alone. Why did he need to bring all that food? Sometimes he even had that little girl with him and then they would see, they would see him put her in the house and then he would just leave. So, like I said, Ariel did have everybody fooled. Daniel said he wasn't the he wasn't the nice neighbor he let on to be, and he had everybody completely fooled. They made he made them look like idiots because you think this person is this way when no, you're really not. When no, you're really a bad guy. All right. About two two decades ago, Daniel recalled that Ariel went through a messy breakup or divorce, which we're going to talk more about now. In 1993, going back a bit, like I said, stay with me, guys. Court records showed that he was arrested on a domestic violent charge. Violence charge, not violent. Which was later dropped. And then going into 2005, He was accused of repeated abuse and domestic violence by his common-law wife, Romilda Figuerera. I believe that's that's how you pronounce it. Um, People who don't know what common-law is, where I'm from, we don't have it, but um, my husband used to talk to this one guy in Canada, and they have common-law. Common-law is where you're with somebody so many like years i want to say it's like 10 right babe 10 years something like that um and if you're like together for 10 years basically the state or wherever you're at recognizes you guys as husband and wife even if you're not married um my mom not my mom my stepmom and my brother's dad they were like that but she said that, um, you know, common law doesn't last, isn't in Pennsylvania anymore, which is where I'm from. So, okay, that's what common law is. That I wanted to tell you. But according to court documents, Romilda accused Ariel of several acts of domestic violence. She had two broken noses, broken ribs, a knocked out tooth, a blood clot on the brain. And lacerations, court papers said. She also suffered um, two dislocated shoulders, one to each side, documents also stated. Romilda alleged Castro threatened to kill her and their daughters on three or four occasions. 
In 2005, court papers said Ariel's relationship to Gramilda is listed as the father to children. But only to two of the Gramilda, two of Gramilda's three children, both daughters have the Castro name. Surname. Sorry. The other child is a boy. And Grimilda also accused Ariel of frequently abducting their daughters and keeping them from her. The court eventually did grant her an order of protection in August 29th of 2005, the same day she filed the court documents. She also asked the court send Ariel to a batterer and substance abuse counseling. But on November 23rd, 2005, the court set aside the protection order, which I don't, I don't understand why. <clears throat> a court official familiar with the case told CNN that the order couldn't have been dismissed without all parties agreeing to it. So I'm assuming from that, his wife and Ariel, you know, just dropped it and they came to the mutual agreement. I'm not sure. After numerous court appearances by the wife where Ariel did not show up on the big day of the hearing, Aaron Hose, Ariel and his lawyers were present, but Grimilda's lawyer couldn't be present. And the court official said, which I found that very confusing. The parties decided that she was at a disadvantage without her lawyer, and ultimately the case was dismissed by the by from what the court official said. Later, Another one of Ariel's daughters named Emily Castro was found guilty but mentally ill of cutting her 11-month-old daughter four times on the neck in 2007. Now, when I saw this, I wanted to fact-check it to see if it was real. And, yo, she's really in jail. Emily, who was 19 at the time, is now serving a 25-year sentence for attempted murder in an Indiana prison. So, wow. That. Now, let's talk about Ariel's school bus driving thing, like I said I'd come back to. So that was all the chaos with his wife, okay? So we see he had these acts, and his wife, or ex-wife, tried to get him help before, and the whole kidnapping the daughter thing, it should have stuck out like a red flag. But for some reason, it didn't. It was before the kidnappings happened. I get it. But, I mean, he had domestic disputes. All of this stuff that he did to his wife. I mean, come on. So, like I said, he was a school bus driver. And going back to 2004 in January... Ariel picked up two children to take them to a special program to treat their attention deficit disorder. I googled to see how I pronounce that, and it's right. At Wade Park Elementary School in Cleveland. And Ariel ended up only dropping off one of the children, but according to the police report, the other child, a... Oh, wait. Yep. To the police report, the other child, a boy, a boy, 
was not escorted to school and he stayed on the bus. When Ariel came back, he drove the bus with the boy still in it and he still knew the boy was on the bus. He decided to do what anybody would do and was like, oh, look at that. It's my lunchtime. Let me go get some Wendy's. No, you don't do that, Ariel. He left the little boy alone, and when he left the boy, he told him, lay down, bitch. After eating, the report says that Ariel returned to the bus, and he drove it around a little bit longer, and then he parked the bus at a parking lot for a long period of, to- for a long period of time before finally dropping the child about off about two hours after he picked him up. The police report said the investigation found no evidence of sexual abuse or any other assault um, done to the boy, so that's, that's good. But why did you just drive around with him? That's weird. But it's okay, because the inquiry concluded that Ariel had broken no law through the school board. I'm sorry, no law. Though the school board did suspend him for 60 days for the incident. Um, See, I just don't understand how they say that he didn't break any laws, because I'm not no rocket science, and I'm not no bus driver, but you can't just take a kid and drop them off two hours late. I'm pretty sure of that. I'm that's breaking some law, like kidnapping, something. Um, more of disciplinary files show that this wasn't the first time he actually had gotten himself into trouble with the school board. The files show that he was reprimanded by his employer on three other occasions. He was suspended for a further sixty days for having made a U-turn in a school bus packed with students in rush hour traffic. How how did he work here for so long and not get fired? But it's okay, guys, because, you know, he apologized and, you know, all is forgiven, right? No. No, no, no. Not at all. He was cascaded for having used a school bus to do grocery shopping, and most recently for having um, left a bus at a Scranton school for four hours to return home. In his self-defense, when he left the bus in Scranton, he had a, like I said, he had that note, and it said, I felt tired that day, so I'm just going to leave the bus here for four hours, and then... Later, I'll pick it up. Is that all right? No, Ariel. You take the bus back. And as for grocery shopping, with your school bus, that sounds pretty lit. But um, unless you're buying the whole store, I don't think you need that big bus. And because of all of those, you know, discipline um, reports against him of these rules, He was sacked in November 2012. So, that, guys, is the first part of um, the Cleveland abduction 
the second part we're going to be talking about the other two women and more about and more about Michelle Knight as well what they all went through strap on hopefully this is only a two-parter because I said I didn't want to do this case um when I watched the movie on Lifetime when it first came out oh my gosh it scared me it still scares me that's terrible because you know all these girls, and I'll probably say it in the next one too, all these girls who were taken by Ariel, each one of them knew his kids, okay? He knew them all. They all knew who he was. They thought he was just like the neighbors thought. They thought he was this stand-up guy. Well, guys, you can follow me on Facebook. And like and join the Facebook group at Just a Girl in True Crime. You can send me an email at Just a Girl in True Crime at gmail dot com. Um, is there anything else that I always say? Um. Oh yeah, you can follow me on Insta Instagram at Just a Girl in True Crime. And to, you know, guys, remember, spread love, not hate. This. This will be released Wednesday, which is in. Uh, we're halfway over the day for me, so, you know, soon. And then Friday, you'll have this one. um, Part two. Or Saturday. And then next week, we're just going to do our Fridays. I might do special, like, bonus episodes and stuff like that, maybe for a Wednesday, but I'm not sure. But that's it, guys, and I'll be talking to you later.